this time on Jonesing. We've been we've been on this run for four years, and we've been trying to get away ever since. What do you mean trying to get away? What? First of all, we have. We want we we don't want to get high no more. We don't want to do this. No, I'm from Jersey. We want to go back to Jersey. We want to get out of here. Why did you come here? Um, because I was on drugs. My mom went to prison, and they don't give you insurance or anything in Jersey. They don't help you at all. So, but why Kensington? Because that's where the drugs were. This podcast was produced by the Partnership for Public Health, a nonprofit organization in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. If you know someone struggling with addiction, have them call the National Helpline 1-800-662-HELP. Thanks for tuning into the first season of Jonesing, our podcast about the science behind opioid addiction. I am Zerubabel Asfaw. We're going to take a look at the state of medically assisted treatment through the lives of people who are starting it, are in recovery, and those who can find their path to sobriety. Medication-assisted treatment. We're talking methadone, suboxone, and Vivitrol. Those may be the best methods we have right now to treat opioid addiction, but not that many people are using them. Less than 30%. We wanted to find out why. My name is Susan Baldridge, and I co-produced this podcast with Zerubbabel, a third-year pre-med student. You may have noticed his accent. He's from Ethiopia. And that was Susan. She was an investigative journalist for the past 19 years before coming to the public health field. She has written over 200 articles about the opioid epidemic since it began five years ago in quite little Lancaster County. Also, you may have noticed her accent. She's from Pennsylvania. Some of you may not know what the word jonesing means. We're going to let people in the community tell you what they think. the term jonesing yeah what does it mean jonesing means like you want more you want to keep going like you're jonesing for something you'll do anything, you'll do anything and everything okay. to get it What's baby come name? over here that's my wife that's leslie leslie can i ask you what jonesing means jonesing means like you're chasing after that next eye and you'll do anything to get it one is too many and a thousand is never enough and you'll just keep going and you'll do anything there's girls out here prostituting for five dollars and half a rock and that's the God's honest truth. And, and, and back in the day, you used to be able to make 80. Now all these girls, because of the fentanyl epidemic, they'll do anything and everything. They'll sell their mom's underwear if they can. And would someone buy their mom's Probably. Underwear? I'm not sure why we came here to Kensington to start our podcast about medically assisted treatment, often called MAT, in Lancaster County. Well, I know I thought you would think it was odd, but we're coming to Kensington because... I thought it would be an interesting start to go to what is considered the overdose capital of the world, first heroin, now fentanyl, and see how they are handling such a horrific epidemic. I thought it would be good to see firsthand the methods they're using. So it has become an epicenter for treatment innovation. That's an excellent way to put it. So therefore, we can see what they're using when they're facing such a big challenge. And they're facing such a big challenge because Philadelphia Port is not as secure as, say, New York City after 9-11. So drugs are flowing into Philadelphia and other big port cities, and it's become the capital of fentanyl. That's where you can get what what people call the best fentanyl. They come from across the country. They come from Lancaster to go to Kensington. And I think what we'll see here is things that are happening in Kensington right now 
may happen in other cities in the next year or two. And that also includes quite little Lancaster County, where we see a drug epidemic, but we don't see anything like it is in Kensington. Prevention Point Philadelphia, located right in the heart of Kensington. Is this for real? So it's for real. It's in a church. The church congregation decided to leave the neighborhood because how bad the neighborhood was. So these people that work at Prevention Point, it's the only one in the state, are on the front lines of what really is a battle against opioid addiction. So we've come to Prevention Point Philadelphia to see what they're doing about this epidemic. So what do you know about Kensington so far? Usually associated with the worst case of the opioid epidemic, people as well as neighborhoods are in a very shabby state. And I've heard Kensington described as the hell below the L, which is the elevated train. And that was my first impression as well. We met one young lady who agreed to talk to us about her addiction. But we had to make it really quick because... In her own words, she was about to cop dope. Um, so I started methadone a number of times. You're and Kelly? Yes. How old? I'm 33. Okay. Um, so one time without rehab, I went and got on methadone. And they started me at a low dosage. And I was continuing to go to the clinic, get dosed, leave and cop, mm-hmm. and go home and get high. When right. I reached 60, to 60 milligrams, um, I went shopping and went home from the methadone clinic. And I did not go and cop drugs to get high. Um, I left afterward to go get drugs. But when I was on 70 milligrams, I was no longer copping drugs to get high. So you needed just to have the right dose. Right. There, it's called a blocking dose. Um, okay. I, I don't know if it blocks you from being able to get high, but I know it blocked me from getting high. Um, my routine changed, and I started hanging out with people who were doing the right thing. It's easy to go to a clinic and hang out with people who do the wrong thing, but you can most certainly do the right thing. So the blocking dose is the one that soaps any cravings and just... Yeah, it, it helped with the cravings. Um, the groups that they offer can okay. help you. Um, you know, it's like getting away from your life a little bit and sitting down and talking about things that, you know, solutions. Okay. Um, it's important to get into the solution instead of focusing on the problem. How about counseling services? Have sure, you, they help you, people. Have you tried any of those? Mm-hmm. How did you find them? Did you well, find them helpful? Not, uh, not to help with... Uh, I'm not sure. I guess they do help with my, with my drug issue because I don't have a problem doing drugs. I have a sobriety issue. I feel like when we walk into Kensington... It's a zombie apocalypse, like the Walking Dead TV show. Everybody here is either on something, they are in the process of injecting, they are um, passed out on the street, on the corners, on the benches, just we're stepping over bodies, and it just doesn't seem real. It's um, like nothing I've ever seen before. Plus, the neighborhood isn't a terrible shape. The roads are terrible. The factories are empty. There's trash everywhere. There's litter. Um, it's just empty houses. You cannot see a store No. for blocks upon blocks. I don't know where people work that actually live here and have jobs, but it just seems like an open-air drug market. And it does seem like they are fighting a war on this. Who will we talk to here to find out how they're using MAT to combat this problem? So we're going to talk to a couple people at Prevention Point 
but they are combating a problem. And combat is a good word to use because it's a war. It's an all-out war against this addiction. And we have two guests today, Silvana Mazella, who runs the program at Prevention Point, and a doctor, a young doctor, Ben Cochiero, who really believes in the MAT initiative, and he actually lives in Kensington. Hello, Silvana. We're interested in learning more about the history of Kensington and how it turned into such a drug scene. How long have you been working at Prevention Point? 11 years. What's happened in the last few years is a major change on a few fronts. The first one is the number of people using opioids, originally heroin, then fentanyl, and now various combinations of fentanyl and something else, or fentanyl masked as something else, or fentanyl and then two or three other substances throughout the day. We're also seeing a change. There have always been drugs and opioids throughout the city, concentrated in a few areas, but now exploding in this neighborhood in Kensington and then growing in use throughout the rest of the city. We're seeing a huge surge in opioid-related homelessness, but other drug-related homelessness, and we're seeing the massive increase in overdoses. So prior to a few years ago, there were always fatalities, and any fatality is too many, right? No one should overdose and die. Mm -hmm. But we had a stable number of fatalities each year from a variety of factors, we had an explosion a few years ago. So, for example, a little over four years ago, 24 people in Philadelphia died with fentanyl in their system. The next year it was 99, then it was a few hundred. Last year, well over 90% of fatalities will likely have had fentanyl. The year before, it was over 80%. So the, the change to synthetic fentanyl from heroin has drastically affected people's ability to manage their overdose risk. Some people call this place the overdose capital of the country. And there have been over 1,200 deaths due to overdose in the past year, just in Philadelphia. What are you seeing here that is coming along with the opioid epidemic that maybe other communities haven't dealt with yet? I think we've got a few. You know, the, the, the big one right now is certainly that while overdose has tapered a little bit, fatal overdose, we still have a lot of fatality. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the reduction has been modest. We are seeing fewer people maybe report or present for overdoses that are not fatal, but that's not necessarily because fewer are happening, but because of naloxone. We're seeing an increase in HIV among people who inject drugs for the first time in a very, very long time. And that's, to my mind, related to fentanyl. It's a worse withdrawal, a quicker withdrawal. So people feel sick very quickly, use more often, are injecting more often, are sometimes people we talk to are injecting twice as often as they were a year ago or a few months ago. The addition of cocaine speedball. Speedball was always uh, a drug of use and an occasional treat for many people. For a lot of our newer participants, it's their drug of choice. Fentanyl and cocaine. There's, there's almost no heroin anymore. 
at least in Philadelphia. Um, and more recently, we know that methamphetamine is replacing the cocaine. Mm -hmm. That's also short-acting. And so people need to inject that more often. So we, we have other health crises going on. We're seeing more skin and soft tissue infections. We're seeing limb loss again for the first time in a while in larger numbers. We're seeing um, psychosis, right, from the methamphetamine combinations or the fentanyl and the K2. So we're seeing people with different mental health symptoms and different types of emergencies that we're presenting for and ourselves included but healthcare in general is not prepared for this the question that keeps popping in my mind is what led this neighborhood to get into such a dire condition well i think there's certainly an opioid and drug epidemic in the region yes i do think that kensington and philadelphia as well are the center of the opioid epidemic and the drug epidemic. I think we have been for a long time. It wasn't as evident to the extent that it is now because overdose fatalities were lower. You know, historically, Philadelphia has been one of the largest drug markets in the country. We have been one of the largest heroin markets in the country. If you talk to law enforcement, we've had way more heroin than many cities. We've had much purer heroin than other cities and much cheaper heroin than other cities for well over three or four decades. So you take a city that has a higher per capita number of people who use heroin and who inject heroin, and then you throw in fentanyl into that drug supply and you do that at the same time that opioid prescriptions have been soaring and at the same time that you thankfully implement prescription drug monitoring and some other physician prescribing education and you have a you know a, a ready situation for an even greater epidemic in Philadelphia and in Kensington in particular Kensington in particular because we have always been an open air drug market Dr. Ben Cochiero is one of our guests today, and we're talking to you about Kensington, and you came here as a medical student in 2010, and I hate to ask you this, but why did you stay here? Well, yeah, I think it was it was an opportunity to, to practice service, mm -hmm. and it was intellectually engaging, and those were really just a couple of things that were that were important to me at the time. And it, and it was an opportunity to see patients. You know, in early medical school, you don't get a whole lot of opportunities to actually, like, see and talk with the people who you're trying to help in the first place. It's oftentimes a really sort of dry academic practice that, mm -hmm. you know, makes you wonder why the heck did I start into this in the first place. So I was, luckily, you know, folks like, uh, like Clayton, who I don't know if you've spoken with yet, uh, organize a, a free student-run clinic that's operated as a collaboration between mm -hmm. five medical schools in this city. And I'm certainly not alone in, in having this kind of exposure. Kind of right from the, the, the get-go, I understood this to be a, a place where you, you, your knowledge of medicine was tested in a way that encouraged you to go back to the books. Um, and that was uh, really gratifying for me. As big as the problem appears to be in Kensington, I see why you wanted to start here. You came in 2010 without knowing what was coming in the years ahead of you with opioids. What was your reaction as you saw the whole epidemic unfold? 
fentanyl was was a little shocking to me. I, th- I think that when we got started, a lot of people were using you know brown powder heroin sourced from Southeast Asia, and heroin has they they call it legs. It's got legs to it. It can last a person you know up to like five eight hours um, in terms of preventing uh, withdrawal symptoms. And that's really once you get going on opiates, that's you know people aren't trying to get high so much as they are trying to stay well, and. Back in the in the old good days, people could hold down a job and shoot heroin three times a day. They'd sneak off to the bathroom and, and inject a, a couple of bags, and they'd return to work, and they, they could be productive and lead relatively meaningful lives um, just using the brown powder heroin a few times a day. Fentanyl, which seems to really have come onto the scene as a result of economic pressures um, and the effects of, of the war on drugs and our um, increased port security, making it more difficult to ship huge shipping containers full of brown powder heroin. Why try to sneak a shipping container through increased port security when you could get the same number of morphine equivalents in the barrel of fentanyl? Um, so that's that's a change that we saw, and, and certainly it's more compact and more potent, but it doesn't have legs in that our uh, patients who are now mostly shooting fentanyl are having to inject anywhere between five and eight times a day, which makes participation in legitimate employment markets much more difficult. Um, We find a lot of people engaging in much more problematic or chaotic drug use, um, both in terms of the number of injection events a day and the amount of time that is now needed to be spent to procure those substances. So I'm going to ask you the same question, Ben, that we asked Sylvania. How do you get up in the morning, come here, say, yeah, I can treat this massive drug problem. I'm going to be making a difference here. How do you get your mind around that? So I think that we're, you know, really short-sighted as a society. We, we think that, you know, opioids weren't really on the public radar, certainly, for, you know, for the, the 10 years, 20 years ago. But they've been there all along. I mean, morphine alcohol and cannabis were like the number one, two, and three most prescribed drugs a century ago. Um, and, you know, our use of, of opiates goes back hundreds of years. I have a treatise called the, the Mysteries of Opium Revealed, written in 1701 by a professor at the College of Surgeons in London. So humanity's grown up alongside this substance. And uh, when I came to Prevention Point in 2010, we were even then understanding the vagaries of opiate use disorder and of the ways that people's lives are really thrown into chaos, not only by the substance, but also by the way our society treats the substance and, and the ways in which we prohibit it and punish the people who, uh, who get involved in it. Two of the people that we interviewed in the midst of all this chaos were some young women who told us their story openly of how they got started on opioids and what the situation is like now. The first time I went, they I waited long enough. It was like 13 hours, and I was so sick. And they wouldn't, they were, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't give me nine. And there, the, it was like filled. And you figure like. I've been on these streets, I'm from Jersey, and I've been here since like 2008, I graduated in 2007. I came to Kensington, it was like it was like a playground. And now that I'm, I'm 29 and, and the game is old, 
and it's not opiates. They're, you cannot buy heroin on any corner. Why? It is fentanyl. They say opioid epidemic? No, it is not an opioid epidemic. It is a fentanyl epidemic. And that's why there's all these homeless people out here. Because it's so, there's nothing that helps you get off fentanyl. Nothing. And are you on it now? Oh, I use. And I, only, I don't use to get high. I use so my body don't feel like shit. Have you tried to access the MAT bus here that Prevention Point puts out? I don't know what you're talking about. So they get they have a bus and they give out free needles and stuff yeah. like that. No, no, but yeah. they give out Suboxone and try to get you into a Suboxone does not work for fentanyl. We tried. Methadone does not work for fentanyl. What works for fentanyl? Nothing. Nothing. The only the only thing that helps is Xanax. bars. We tried to get bars. Xanax. Oh. Kalatapins is the only thing that helps. Yeah, benzos is the only thing that helps. Um, I was on methadone for seven years, and I got off that. I will never get on it again. I tried to go away the this, this second time, and they found a needle on me. They told me I um, was sleeping too much. Well, you didn't search me. That's not my fault. I got approved for five days. They gave me a, a piece of paper. They said, here, go home. Call these, call these people, and, um, and you should get in. And no, that's not how it works. They were supposed to find me a place. We've been we've been on this run for four years, and we've been trying to get away ever since. What do you mean trying to get away? What? First of all, can rehab. We want we we don't want to get high no more. We don't want to do this. No, I'm from Jersey. We yeah. want to go back to Jersey. We want to get out of here. Why did you come here to Kensington? Um, because I was on drugs. My mom went to prison, and they don't give you insurance or anything in Jersey. They don't help you at all. So, but why Kensington? Because that's where the drugs were. Give me a sour patch. Is she using her neck to inject? Yeah. Oh. And I ain't got no veins because I've been getting high for 17 years and it is so hard for me to get high. I don't get high, I get well. That's yeah. all I do. And it's because the withdrawal is so bad. If it was heroin, I would have already been off because I could, I could detox myself off heroin. But this fentanyl is no fucking joke. I've never OD'd in my life. I get tasted. She OD'd on my birthday and it, it, was, cut with, um, it was cut with atropine. And it shut her sister, and she she has a pacemaker. Her her boyfriend died from from endocarditis, and then she got it, and then she now she has a pacemaker. And but she's, is that from infection from injecting? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. She shouldn't even be doing it. We want off so bad, but we can't get away. It's so hard. Mm. It sucks. That is that is terrible. Wow. But half these people out here don't want help. You oh, know, really? but you Why? do. I don't know why they don't want help. Maybe they don't have the, maybe they don't have people that love them, or maybe they burned all their bridges, or maybe they like living outside. I I can't live outside. I'll pay rent. I'll do whatever I have to do to keep a roof over my head. All addicts are different, though. Mm-hmm. Mm, my mom's finally understanding. I'm like, mom, what do you think? I want to wake up every day and stick myself with a needle? No, that's mm-hmm. it's not fun. <laughs> do you think there's a lot of stigma associated with IV drug use? What do you mean? Stigma. Do you like people? Do you think people look down on you? I don't care if they do, but if they do, oh well. Just like we open them, open in an injection site, they should, because if people, not a lot, there would be a lot less ODs if they opened it. You know what I mean? They wouldn't be on the street dying. They would be in a place getting help. You know, and now all they do is sell fake drugs out here. Fake, the fake bars. <laughs> they're fake. Yeah, they're fake. They, they take one zanny bar and make twenty. Mm. Wow. And so sell and fun. sell them for twelve dollars a piece. And how's the how's the 
fentanyl strength? It depends on what block you go to. There's only, um, I, I only stick to what I know because I don't fuck around. I don't want to die. So I go to one block that I know and that's that. And do you have to, um, had you used heroin previously? Yeah. Okay. Fentanyl so, just came out. Okay, so do you have to inject fentanyl a lot more than you inject heroin? You can't, once you go to fentanyl, you can't go back to heroin. You won't feel it. But do you inject heroin, I mean fentanyl, more times a day than you You do? have to. Why? Because it doesn't last as long. Right, Les? Heroin, you, you didn't have to. You can inject it one time and you'd be good all day. You wouldn't have to do it until nighttime. This, you have to continue, continue, continue. You have to keep going. Yeah, it's one of those every three, four hours. Every three, four hours. As soon as you go to sleep for on a nap or something, or if you nod out and take a little nap, as soon as you wake up, you're sick. I really wasn't prepared for Kensington. I covered the opioid epidemic. I felt like I saw every nook and cranny of what an addict's life can be like on the streets. And I still wasn't prepared for this. And I don't know that I really should have taken you here because it was pretty brutal um, impression of what life is like for these people living here. I think one of the weirdest things is that everybody's acting normal as they're stepping over passed out bodies on the street that open-air drug selling is going on everywhere and people are shooting up everywhere. I think, like, that's the new normal for that plan. But so, so, so strikingly brutal. Yes. Like, the guy I saw right when we got there and parked the car, yeah. he's gouging his arm with... A, a, a nearly, like, 18-gauge needle tried to pop out an abscess. An infection. And I asked him if he needed help and he was like, Leave me alone. This is my thing. Yeah. I, this is the thing I do. And that was striking. The other thing that was really striking to me, sort of in an overwhelming sense, was walking into that big open room at Prevention Point where I would say there's probably close to 100 people all struggling with addiction in various states of awareness or passed outness. I don't know what you want to call it. But so many um I felt like it was a concentrated slice of humanity that I had never seen before in those numbers. Yeah. What struck me the most was looking at two people trying to shoot up using one of their neck veins because they had run out of all the other veins in their body because of multiple repeated use of like stabbing their neck veins for drugs. And their last resort was their neck veins. And they're helping each other out. Yeah, that was a bit... That was a low point. Another thing I think that we saw that we weren't really prepared for was the number of people walking around without arms and or on one leg. And I didn't really... At first I thought, I'm just imagining there's so many people there with lost limbs. But then when we talked to Dr. Cogiero, um, we understood why that that comes with this kind of an epidemic. Another thing that I noticed was that through our conversations with people who are like suffering through opioid dependency was that they didn't want to stay in Kensington. It's not like Kensington was their favorite place. What do you mean? They didn't want to stay there. They wanted to leave. They wanted to have their lives back. They wanted to be back to their like families, but they didn't know how to like get out of the neighborhood because that was where the drugs were. So in a sense, it felt like everybody had an invisible set of shackles on their legs, that kept them in that neighborhood. Kept them on drugs. Who knows? Some of them may have attempted to go back to 
whichever part of the country they came from because people there were from all over the U.S. I was sort of taken aback that a city in the most developed country in the world could have such such a very run-down neighborhood. It looked like a war zone. It looked like it looked exactly like a war zone. Like the movies that portray like uh, the Gulf War, where they had like open bu- buildings that were like torn apart, like bombed the hell out. It looked exactly like that. Even though there wasn't an active war going on there, the houses were empty. Some of them were like broken into. We didn't see a grocery store for blocks upon blocks. We didn't see like the normal amenities of a normal neighborhood. Like a restaurant you and didn't see shops. A, exactly. No, no, it's very desolate. And yet um, the trash is everywhere. Like yeah. people are producing trash and there's... It's there's just some- filthy. That seems elitist to say it's filthy, but it's filthy by anybody's standards. And even in other cities that I've been to, and maybe they're, I don't remember to see this much litter. There's litter everywhere. You can't step on a sidewalk and there's a dirty discarded diaper or there's needles or there's toilet paper or there's just trash and it's blowing everywhere. I thought... I thought I'd seen a lot, but not really. I think there are a lot of lessons to be learned here about the stigma when it comes to opioid addiction. My biggest impression or takeaway of Kensington and Prevention Point Philadelphia is they are not waiting for people struggling with addiction to come to them, which is traditional. What they are doing is outreach in the truest sense of the word. They're going out to the streets. They're offering MAT. They are helping people with medical conditions. They're providing clothes, they're providing food, they're providing recovery treatment, and they're working with cops to make sure that we're treating these people with respect and dignity and trying to get them into recovery. Next time on Jonesing, we will be investigating the opioid epidemic through the eyes of a young student athlete whose story begins in a place that is the stark opposite of Kensington, a small town in Lancaster County. I told them I was in pain and they gave me medication. It's as easy as that. Almost look for that next surgery. Once I found heroin, I was like, uh, it's a whole new game, you know? I was sticking a needle in my arm and it was, uh, it was 10 times better. This podcast was produced by the Partnership for Public Health, a nonprofit organization in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We would like to thank the Lancaster County Community Foundation for sponsoring this podcast series. We'd also like to thank Colonel Collin, also known as C.J. Shuby. He's a talented musician in long-term recovery himself. He graciously allowed us to use his music. Catch more episodes of Jonesing on our website, partnershipforpublichealth.org, and find us on Stitcher and iTunes. If you know someone struggling with addiction, have them call the National Helpline, 1-800-662-HELP.